okay. And we're back. Back, back once again, coming to you pre-recorded live over the interwebs. Recorded live. Broadcast. Is there any... Eventually. Is, is, is there any other way of recording if... If, you know, recording live just means that it's two living people speaking into <laughs> microphones. I guess, re- you uh, know, recording live sort of implies that it's not, like, heavily produced later. Like, chopped up, tape splices. Oh, uh, uh, well, that's what they call live to tape. Live yeah. to tape. Live to tape. Oh, LTT? Yeah. LTT. L- <laughs> LTT. That's, uh, it's, uh, you know, that's how you could tell how, what, pro-audio engineers we are. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, I just meant, you know, we're not, you know, I'm not talking into a tape recorder and then mailing it to you in Philly, and then you're talking <laughs> I just, back I just into the chime tape recorder. In eventually. <laughs> the, that actually sounds like an amazing hipster podcast idea, uh, though it, it seems like the kind of thing that they've probably done on This American Life already. It's tough, because you'd have to, the person listening would really have to just, like, start talking in these gaps and then when the other person starts talking again just kind of shut it down <laughs> it would it, well i was it would go wrong i was thinking just like a recorded conversation back and forth right mm. like you know i record some some stuff like an opinion uh or something and then send it uh you know over to you uh through first class mail thank you u.s still u.s postal service and uh you would then uh, listen and you know, you'd think oh man that's totally stupid or you'd be like oh yeah that's totally right and if you think it's stupid you can give a long defense uh, <laughs> of your own opinion uh, or if you think it's right you can be like yeah yeah I pretty much agree with that um, tell me more and then send it back <laughs> and so on and so forth and then you know it would all be as I said uh, you know we would we would learn things about each other and about really ourselves and then you know it'd be interspersed by Ira Glass going act two <laughs> it would, ta- it would take be... forever <laughs> it would take so long i kind of want you'd get a tape back in the mail from me with me just going uh-huh and then you'd have to pick it up again <laughs> this takes I, two weeks it would it would actually have to be tapes too i i don't think that i think i would feel wrong you know digitally recording oh man we could use these tiny little walkman tapes Oh, this is a, this oh, is gold. I can't I believe we're those. giving this idea. We're just we're just putting this out there. Where I think that you know this is kind of, this is the next serial that we're <laughs> laying out here. It would be All called right, is... tedium. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it would be. It would be. Well, you could also call it serial in a way. Um, but then you would probably, you know, there'd be intellectual property issues of some kind yeah so anyway i don't know what's going on over there you have anything interesting uh yeah so i i was um cleaning out my parts bin a little while ago because i you know like i've i have this like this big tub sort of that's full of like stuff like you know some stems and saddles and then i have like in little jars and canisters here and there a smattering of like you know small parts and this one's full of bolts and that one's full of who knows and so i, I tried to like collect and organize and consolidate it <laughs> and and part of this process of going through all these different things is finding all of this stuff that like holy crap i do not need and i just it it got ridiculous just to just so i started writing down what i was finding and i thought that you'd be interested in hearing 
some of the crap that was in uh, that parts. Yeah, thing. yeah. I'm very interested because I have, I have some thoughts on the small parts and, and mm. especially the hardware fasteners bit. But yeah. You, will, you know, go on. So, so what I, did you find? Yeah, so I turned up a few more track lock rings and that brought my total up to like nine. I have nine track lock rings. I don't use lock rings on my track wheels and I have nine of them kicking around. Are these a remnant from sort of the proto Matteo days? I have no idea where they all came from. There's so many of them. Well, but did you at one point when riding fixed gears on the street use lock rings? Yeah, and and at some point in my track racing, I used lock rings, but I just Bef- stopped before because you got cool. Necessary before I got cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I found a free hub body to a wheel that I sold three years ago four years ago a long time ago <laughs> okay um, you sold a wheel without a free hub body well it was okay. like an extra an extra free hub body during my like campagnolo to sram transition <laughs> okay you know? uh i also found spare spokes to a wheel set that i sold like six years ago do you remember Neovation wheels uh-huh yep so i found you know found some nice yeah now spokes. it's now it's like nugent oh, really? cycling or something yeah huh. he's back he's back but anyway yeah i found um all right you know when you like when you flat and you put your tube in your wheel out on the road and you realize that you've got like a little shorty stem but you've got some like 30 millimeter deep rims or whatever Uh. and you've got like just the nubbin and you know that you can make it work if only you thread on one of those little valve nuts to just pull and hold the stem out of the rim sure yeah I can never find those things when I need them. Oh, I use those things as uh, spacers all the time. <laughs> of course, yeah. But So I found about 18,000 of them. <laughs> well, that's good. Now um, you're which, set. Which I can never find them when I need them. I don't know what I did with them. I think I threw them away. Uh, again, uh, well. again, I can never find them when I need them. Uh, I found like a bunch of like partial patch kits, and none of them had any glue. Oh, yeah, well, the glue is always the thing that goes. It Mm -hmm. dries up and, yeah. Yeah. Um, I found Campagnolo cassette lock rings, and I I haven't used Campagnolo in, like, five years, but apparently I still had, like, three Campagnolo cassette lock rings kicking around in there. (laughs) All right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I found some uh, errant headset cartridge bearings. Hey, I just had a thought on cassette lock rings. Uh-huh. Why not make them reverse threaded? I don't Oh, putting them on would be the problem then. Uh-huh. Ugh, damn. I thought it was I was like I thought I was onto something for <laughs> a couple seconds. But I'm just stupid. Go on. What's the what's else, what else is on your list? Um the the sort of the sort of last thing. I found, like, a million chainring bolts, and I have no idea where they came from. Like, what cranks they came from, why I have that. I, maybe they reproduce. Like, if you put a bunch of chainring bolts in a parts bin, do they make more? Where do they... I There's so many are, of them. Are, uh, are any of them single chainring bolts? Dozens. I had a few, a few, yeah, little single ones. I mean, if you have some singles, you know, I could send them this way. Yeah. No reason. Well, I usually those usually go into my uh, my track sack <laughs> because you know changing changing chain rings pretty often at the track you're bound to lose some. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. That's right. You you probably have much more more use of them than I do. Yeah. 
So this whole thing, this whole like, it, like I usually know where my bike stuff comes from, and I know that when you have a parts bin, you just chuck some stuff in there. But some of this just it shocked me at, at, at how much of this stuff and how little idea I had where it came from. <laughs> and all of this little stuff, like, why, yeah, like, why can I never find those valve nuts when I need them to friggin' pull the stem through and hold it because there's, like, the tiniest bit protruding from a rim? I can never find those when I need them. And then there they all were. Yeah. Yeah, well, my, my problem is I, I actually know where a lot of the useful stuff is, but I, I have... All this, especially, like I said, with the fasteners, I have this massive accumulation of oddball, weird fasteners. I mean, you know, bolts and the like. And mm-hmm. it's because when I got started with bikes, I was playing around with old, like, 80s touring bikes from Japan or whatever. And so nothing was standard, right? Mm-hmm. And if you you know if you have any experience with with those sort of bikes, um, you know you you get a bike say with cantilever brakes, and you're like, oh great, I can just like get cantilever brakes off the shelf and put them on this bike. No, no, because the cantilever posts are spaced differently on the bikes <laughs> on 1980s Japanese bikes. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so it's actually, and they only have one uh, hole for tensioning and, and all that stuff. So, and there's just various things like that where, oh, okay, I'm going to mount some fenders on this bike and I'm going to th- just thread like the included hardware into the eyelets. But the eyelets are, are either have a different threading or, or just aren't threaded at all. <laughs> and you what? need to come up with something. Yeah, I I know. God, I've and, never seen non-threaded eyelets. Wow. Oh, it's actually mo- really. It's particularly common on um, uh, on like bikes that are like crappy old bikes with stamped dropouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely a thing. And so so I had all these things that I was you know put it because I was like a touring nerd then. And I'd be, like, putting a rack on it or getting this, that, or the other thing to work or fenders or something. And so I had all these oddball bits of hardware that I scrounged together or got from the hardware store just to, like, cobble something together that would work on the bike. But then, you know, time passed, um, and I put away childish things. <laughs> and I got, I got bikes that actually had some semblance of standardization in how they were put together and the threading of the various bits and pieces. And so now I, I have this huge, and I also just got hardware for things I intended to do that I never ended up doing. So I have this massive quantity of random, often single uh, fasteners of one kind or another. And sometimes I'll find myself short. Like I'll be putting something on my bike and I'll be like, oh crap, I'm like missing you know, one of the stock fasteners to put this thing on. I'll just go digging through, or I'm trying to get fenders on is often what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Like on my cross bike or something, I'll be like, oh, wait, I bet I have something in my collection of weird oddball fasteners. But of course, I have a, a million, <laughs> I've got 99 different fasteners and not one that actually is going to do what I want it to do. Every now and then I'm able to make it work, but it's like, I'm like, oh, or, or I'll just be doing something normal. Yeah. Like I'm looking for, I'm looking for one of those little, uh, valve nuts yeah. and I'll be like, I bet I have one of those kicking around. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I've got like strange English threaded bolts. Uh, <laughs> for me, uh, it's, it's usually like if I'm looking, like I've got all these bolts, but it's, it's nuts that I don't have. And every now and then, you know, you need to like fasten something with a nut <laughs> and a bolt instead of, you know, a threaded receiver. Um, 
Yeah, that's always frustrating. Yeah. Ugh, man. What are you going to do, huh? What are you going to do? Well, this is the Honest Bicycle Program. Uh, we get together and we talk about bikes and bike racing, things like that. It's, uh... It's just you and me this week. Yeah, to, to our audience, if uh, if you haven't if you haven't listened to last episode, it was when we uh, bade Francis a temporary goodbye. Uh, she's got she's got a lot going on. She's got a lot on her plate. So was gonna she's taking a little bit of time. To spend, she's like to spend some more time with her family uh, and think about her next steps. And we wish That's her the right. best. We do, we do. So so it's uh, just a lonely twosome once again, but. Uh... Uh, you know, we're gonna do what we can. We're, we're gonna, gonna bring you some stuff. We're gonna keep this. We're gonna keep this truck rolling. That's right. That's right. We're gonna we're gonna try and uh, coast down the hill, build up enough speed to get up over the next one, <laughs> <laughs> so on and so forth. Uh, all right. So anyway, uh, what's going on? What do we do? We want to do a little little sponsor break to start. Maybe we should do that. Let's do that. Yeah. So this is uh, as Greg so kindly mentioned. This is the Honest Bicycle Program. We're coming at you on the Wide Angle Podium Network, which is a collection of terrific podcasts. Uh, so, you love ours, you might love many of the others on there. Um, check it out. Uh, the Honest Bicycle Program uh, is supported by Health IQ, which is a life insurance company uh, that uh, works for and celebrates the, the health conscious, including cyclists. Um, to learn more or to get a free quote, you can visit healthiq.com slash honest bicycle they have a life insurance uh, faq page to get your questions answered uh, they do some really cool work to um you know make sure that uh life insurance fits people who have an active lifestyle so they don't use uh, bmi which is a, a really flawed metric um that doesn't work for a lot of athletes they don't ding you for having a low resting heart rate uh, all this neat stuff so check them out okay Again, okay. that's, that's, that's Health IQ. Yeah, the URL there is healthiq.com slash honestbicycle. All right. So, maybe we should move ahead with our agenda. Yeah, what do we got going on here? Uh, let's see. Well, I think that um, we were going to talk about some, some racing stuff, weren't we? Didn't you have uh, some thoughts yeah, on that? I got, yeah, I got, I, got a sto- I got a story for you. So I was... Um... I was at a bike race last week, um, and I was, uh, you know, chatting over how the race went um, with uh, with this other guy. You know, so I'm I'm I've lived in Philadelphia for seven or eight months, and this is you know the race season getting started. So it's really this this whole uh, project of like getting to know a new racing scene, uh, the teams, the who is who, who can do what. I got no idea. I'm freelancing because most of my team is back in Minnesota. Um, that whole thing is is a nut to crack in and of itself. Um, so this race was like an hour and 15 minute long crit. And maybe about 25 minutes into it, still kind of early. Um, but there started to be some like kind of large moves going away. Um, there were like maybe eight riders at 20 seconds and maybe like another eight at 10 seconds. And that's that's enough that like, you know, you always you always wonder uh, whether or not a big move is just going to slip away, and then there are going to be like two different bike races, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Especially even in a big field. Sometimes, especially in a big field, you know, no one 
no one can yeah. chase together. But, you know, you, you get to a situation sometimes where, like, sure, there's this closable gap that, like, the field could race against the breakaway, but it's hard to get the field together to do that. Um, so I wound up uh, solo bridging to the group two, and then I, I rode through it and I bridged. I, I got pretty close to group one, and there were some people on my wheel, and then we all messed around for a little while. But I felt really strong. It was cool. Um, anyway, I was chatting about that whole dynamic with uh, with uh, somebody after the race. He, he's a big guy, like really tall, really muscular, um, really tall, just a big, big guy. And, you know, we were chatting about those those few laps when things were really dynamic, and he said something like, well, did, did you notice, like, sort of what happened every time, you know, one of those moves got a little bit of ground? And I was like, no, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, it was always pegged back by... And he mentioned, you know, a couple riders on a couple teams. And he's basically saying that, you know, there are a couple teams that sent some of their B riders to the front, really burned them off to peg back those moves, which is, of course, what, you know, happens. And that's when, mm-hmm. when they're when they're teams. Um, sure. But I didn't see that. And I, I realized that, like, I didn't see it. I'm never going to see it because I'm five foot five and... Unless, <laughs> unless I'm like eating a lot of wind and like sitting up and trying to look over people, I can't see what's happening even a few riders in front of me. Like it's completely yeah. obscured. And there are some people, tall people, can just see what's happening at the front of the race even when they're way deep in it. Um, and I kind of had this epiphany a, a year or two ago. Uh, again, a, a tall friend was saying something about a crit and he goes, oh yeah, I saw you sprinting for that, for that preem. And I was like, but you were tailgunning. How did you... Oh. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's never been my experience that you can, you can just see that stuff happening in a bike race. And, you know, for many years, it just didn't occur to me. And I realized that, you know, no matter how good I get, there's always going to be this hole in my racing that it, it's just going to be really difficult to see what's going on at the front unless I'm right there. Yeah. Yeah, I can I, I can relate as you imagine. <laughs> can you can you relate, Greg? <laughs> I uh well, you might not know this about me, but I'm five five. And yeah, I mean it's 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 true. I hadn't really thought about it. I hadn't I hadn't had it an epiphany about it. I guess quite like that that's sort of an interesting thought. But yeah, I mean it, there's probably you know there has to be a I guess a range of how much people can see of what's going on at any given time, and it can't be great for race awareness. I mean I, I think that. So that's a weakness of mine that I think is is um, you know a weakness above and beyond just <laughs> short stature. But but yeah, I mean I, I can't I can't tell what's going on. And you're you are undoubtedly used to the experience of riding the pace line, you know, on someone's wheel and just running over all kinds of shit <laughs> uh, because you can't you're just not going to see like the stick or whatever uh, in time to dodge it a lot of the time because uh, you just can't see it. <laughs> because there's people in front of you totally so and you know i mean everyone's obscured to some extent uh has their you know uh their senses somewhat dulled by you know just having a lot of bodies around you that blocking your sight lines but and also that's interesting attention yeah yeah well yeah i mean of course of course so you know with all the yelling and people are you know saying oh inside <laughs> on your right 
<laughs> oh man! And, you get, and then you get distracted because you're annoyed. I've gotten I've gotten a lot of yelling happen to me uh, this spring, and what, what really I, what I and what I think it is, uh, you know, I don't I'm not really like an aggressive mover in the field. Um, mm-hmm. And so what I think it is is the fact that I'm not known. And so, like, you know, my, my, my general theory about yelling is that, like, people yell in bike races. It's less about somebody doing something that is wrong and more about somebody being uncomfortable about whatever's happening. Like, when it comes to... Right. When it comes to stuff, like, everybody can do the right thing and still someone can find themselves in a situation that, that like, is not great. Um, so whatever. Right. whatever I, I've... I've I've gotten yelled at a whole bunch, and I, I really don't think it's about me. Which maybe is like sounds a lot like layers of self-preservation at work, but uh... no, I think it's true. I, I I think you know I think that that happens whenever you're kind of mixed in, especially like especially if um, you know you're kind of breaking the hierarchy a little bit, where you're you're in a group of say you've just upgraded right mm-hmm. or you're you're racing in a one two three race or something as a three mm-hmm. like if you do something as a cat three that is perfectly legit um you know but but you're a three <laughs> you're much more likely to get crap for it yeah because i mean because part of it is yeah. about trust like right i i know there's some riders i know uh, they can do some things that if someone else were doing them, I'd think, what's wrong with you? But if they do it, I think that person knows what they're doing. Right. Yeah, or, or, or I mean, just just as uh, another thing that, that I just thought of, last year, um, first day of, so right, the Longs Joe Classic Series of Crits, we had three in a <coughs> row. We had one in Lemonster, Mass., one in Worcester, and then um, the the kind of big famous one is in Fitchburg. And I, in Lemonster, which was the first time on a new course, um, I made a mistake coming into a corner. It, it narrowed down a lot. I came in on the outside really hot, and there was a curb mm-hmm. because it narrowed down. Uh, and I crashed. And um, so, so you, you hit the curb on the outside of the turn, on like yes. the, 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 the exit of the turn, the outside corner right. the exit of the turn. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly, because it was like, oh, they're actually, th- this line just goes into the curb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which was not awesome, and I crashed. And other people crashed. I, uh, you know, and and I felt a little bad about that. I mean, a little bit bad. I mean, there's I crashed completely out of the course. Other people should not have crashed, but um, it happens. So I felt a little bad um, about that. But like, it's the first time I've done something like that in a bike race in nine years of doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like, well, it sucks, but I mean, you know, what am I supposed to do? Like quit? Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, the the next day I'm I'm doing like the usual thing and taking good lines and, and, you know, I'm tight on another guy and he starts yelling at me like, don't, you know, uh, uh, don't cut me off or whatever. You're going to, you know, end up on your head like yesterday or whatever. I'm just like, dude, um i'm i'm following a smooth line <laughs> like yeah. this is bike racing guy like uh, like what what do you want from me yeah you know <laughs> like i'm not i'm not cutting i'm not cutting into your line here uh you're just you know the only context that, you know is someone that i haven't raced with a lot so yeah. his context is this dude totally <laughs> t-boned the curve yesterday so it's not exactly that i blame him 
but you know that context matters the 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 moral of the story is like don't run your mouth in a bike race because you don't like you're not necessarily right just because you have feelings yeah and that's a lesson i could stand to learn more often you know on the other end um so i'm trying one of the one of my goals is to become a little bit less a little more chill i guess because it's something i know but have not always been good at putting into practice so i one of the one of the things that happened to me in a recent race was uh things were stretched out single file and a dude rides up next to me and starts trying to steal the wheel that i'm on um and it's you know it's it's like not you know, it's not like the moment in the race or whatever, but I still didn't feel like seating ground. Um, yeah. And so what happened was we made elbow contact and he like started going off on me. And, you know, what I thought was like a fairly like ordinary situation of like, okay, I'm not holding my ground. Like we bump elbows. That's the sign for, nope, this is my wheel. Um, like I felt that that was like a, a totally normal race situation. Um, and I remember, like, the first time when... Like, I'm, I'm not a, a proponent of body contact. I don't think you should go out of your way to do it, but I think you should know how to handle it. Um, yeah, yeah. And I started I think thinking about this cool. this Kieran that I raced, and I, I tried to slot into, um, like, third wheel or something, and I kept on just, like, trying to edge in, trying to do that thing where, you know, your handlebars are in front of somebody, you try and come down, you try and make them back off. That's how you take a wheel, right? It, yeah. it, it comes down to trying to make somebody else back off. And whoever it was I was trying to steal a wheel from was having none of it, and he, you know, put his handlebars into my hip and rode me up track. And I was like, all right, like what I was trying just didn't work, you know? Um, right. That's, uh, that's how that goes. So the fact that, the fact that this guy like started, you know, berating me, like calling me an a-hole, calling me like, what are you, who do you think you are? Some kind of a big shot or whatever. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what, what happened was just like normal. Like what? Yeah. That's crazy. It's also like, it's one of those, if it's not the moment of the race, like, you could consider asking politely. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is an option to you if it's not, like, a critical moment in the race and you need shelter, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or if it was, that like, so funny. if it was, like, you know, his teammate's wheel that I was on, like, I'd have, you know, right. slid off, especially with a word, with a word or with, like, a flick of the fingers, you know, I'd, like, you know, that little flick of, like, this is where I'm going. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's like man that just that, uh, that gets my goat <laughs> like that I'm, I'm gonna try and push you off a wheel and then get mad when you don't <laughs> when you don't surrender the spot and then it's not it's not this doesn't matter in an overarching way but he also wound up finishing like 70 places below me in the race sure which just yeah it's like <sighs> just, uh... Like, are we racing the same bicycle race? Like, I got I got into a really stupid. And this is actually uh, I got into a on both of I think on both of our parts, but it, it, you know mine at least for um, letting it get to me uh, a hand contact argument with someone last year at um, the Greenfield Crit in the one two three race, and we both finished like at the back. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like what the what, what even was that? Like, why did we? Like why? That <laughs> was so stupid. Or <laughs> <laughs> was like I was like, don't put your hands on me. He was like, you're a clown, and I was like, you're a jackass, and it was just all this acrimony. 
Just because I, you know, I, I, like I said, I need to chill out. I find it kind of tacky when people put their hand on you to open a spot. Oh yeah, um, to, to to try and move somebody with your hand is, yeah, is I yeah. think, a, an unnecessary maneuver. No, I think it's it's it's. I find I mean it it gets me because I I feel very insulted by it <laughs> because to me the implication is like oh you're wiggling around and da- moving dangerously and it's like no I'm moving in a normal way deal mm-hmm. but uh, yeah I mean you know whatever and someone is I, and, and I will say as long as I'm ranting about it someone is teaching Cat Three Juniors to reach out and put their hands on people <laughs> uh, and I don't know who that is uh, but they need to stop uh, because. Like, people will drift across your line at a reason, like, in, if they're moving at a predictable rate, um, that's normal. And it's called having the door closed on you. And I don't know, like, I guess if it's at a crucial moment of the race and you want to fight it, that's fine. But if it's just, you know, buried in the pack and someone's moving over and you feel compelled instead of just, I don't know, reacting like a normal person to put your hand on the hip like they're being dangerous, I, I that's uh rude yeah <laughs> but anyway uh rant it's, over so it also it also just like doesn't acknowledge the realities of of what is happening somewhere else in the field you know right yeah 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 well that's that i mean that happens a lot that happens a lot right that's like the, the I, i've told the story before in a cat four race years ago in alabama where I, mean, I think i've i think i've noted before that the people in alabama just seem to have a, some kind of congenital deficiency in bike handling but um no offense alabama I, i'm sure that you our alabama listeners are actually really fine the but, exception to but, the rule uh yeah obviously it's just that my experience i i raced in you know three different southern states and uh alabama was a shit show every time <laughs> so just saying um but but you know where the movement in the field is pushing me left and the guy overlapped with my back wheel is saying like don't push me over the yellow line bro and then start swearing at me when he gets pushed over the yellow line like you know <laughs> it's like guy um like again what do you want from me the field's moving left i can i can move left because i've still got space to do it you on the other hand are gonna have to scrub some brakes like that's life that's just how it goes and it's your responsibility to protect your front wheel yeah so but so that happens and and you know i think it, it seems like i don't know i don't i haven't done a lot of upper cat racing obviously because i'm i'm a three i'm a lowly three um but it, you know people have even in higher cats sometimes a sort of funny idea about um what their rights and responsibilities are or at least it's very very informed by the pecking order in in people's heads yeah so how have, you, how have you found the kind of racing culture to be different in Philly versus hmm. Minnesota? Uh, I think the, the biggest uh, thing that's apparent to me is that the, the calendar is so robust. You know, there's so much mm-hmm. choice in what races one can race um, yeah. that I, I don't know what to expect each time because I don't know if this is a local race with the same people, if it's going to be four dozen new faces. Uh, Whereas racing in Minnesota, it was like, the question was, you know, who will show up and how many people will show up? But it's, there were very few situations where there was a competing race. And if there was a competing race, it was a competing race five hours away. Sure, yeah. Whereas whereas here, it's like, I mean, there's just, I could, go, I could go to this race this weekend or that race this weekend. I could go to New Jersey or Pennsylvania or New York or Delaware, like wherever. I could... I've got options within a 90-minute drive. Yeah. 
yeah there's, it's there's definitely very, a lot it's more so dense it's crazy well there's many more so it, it might be not entirely unlike my experience you know i spent a few years in tennessee and then i was back in massachusetts mm-hmm. um the the i mean for one thing there's just a lot more bike racers yeah uh at every level so your fields are bigger and i would say uh it's not a huge deal or anything but the new england fields are way more aggro and i don't mean <coughs> like in the sense of there being more attacks i mean in the sense of people are much more I mean, aggro, like like in terms of their act, actions in the pack. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's, uh, and I think it's because it's so much more crowded, mm. um, and also because you know New Englanders are, are a bunch of Type A jerks. <laughs> but because that's me, it's fine. <laughs> I pretty much fit that to a T. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't found things to be too aggro here. I, I think you know, there's a lot more. Um... Well, it's all relative. Like, I'm not saying, like, people are total jerks in New England. That's not the case at all. It's just that it's, there's a little bit more Mm argy-bargy. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that the, like, the overall, like, the racing is good. The overall, the overall speeds are a little bit lower than what I'm used to in Minnesota. Hmm. Um, even in bigger fields. Um, though, I wonder how much of that is, uh, the race and how much of it is, like, my, my fitness. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, well, you it you know you've been doing the serious training, so yeah, I got a great coach, Robert Mayfield Coaching Services. Plus, <laughs> I'm real fast. I just I just set some new. I've been setting PBs like nuts the past couple of weeks. Oh man, that's awesome. That's no, I have not. I have not been setting PBs except in time off the bike. I mean, you've, you've had to have time off the bike from your, your injuries, and, and so what's it like kind of coming back up? I know, you know, we had a conversation about your, like, you know, sort of rebuilding your CTL house from the ground up. Um, how's that going? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's been tough. Um, I've had a lot going on in my life <laughs> the last three months, um, in addition to recovering from uh, this broken hip that I had. Um, and the relative kind of lack of overall structure for me doesn't make it easy and in, in, you know, high stress for various reasons has made it, uh, harder to fit in the training, um, as opposed to easier. Um, even though in theory right now, I actually have a lot of time, um, time's good, but structure's better. Yeah, I mean that's exactly it. Time is good, structure is better, and certainty is better. There's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, in in my life right now, which is irritating, um, to say the least. But, you know, on top of that, when I have so I finally had at least some, you know, my schedule calmed down a little bit, uh, the last week or so, and I was like, okay, I can now go and put in more of a normal training week, um, and so I go out on um, Sunday last week. And I noticed at some point in the ride, I'm like, oh, the outside of my right foot hurts. Like, what? what's this? Uh, I somehow laced my shoe up too tight or whatever. I had my I had my kind of foot on the wrong part of the insole or something. I don't know. I got home and I realized that my knee was starting to get kind of unhappy and, and my <laughs> outside of my right foot was in agony. Uh, this is like a three-hour ride I did. Anyway, but I'm like, whatever, it's fine. But then on Tuesday, I, I do an hour on the trader, and I'm like, ooh, toward the end, like, that doesn't feel good at all. 
And then the next few times I've tried to go out and I did, and then I got sick, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. for, for a couple of days because uh, I just can't win. Uh, but then I, you know, I try to go out uh, yesterday and I get like 25 minutes in and I'm like, yeah, this isn't working. Uh, and, and then I try to go out this morning and I get around the corner. And I think, oh, no, this isn't going to work. So if basically I'm not, mm, I'm on essentially the injury treadmill, right? Where have you ever had something that kept you off the bike for an extended period of time? Um, no, no. Well, okay, this is like the story of my life, which is mm-hmm. which is um, part of why I, I, this is my excuse, right, for why I suck so bad. <laughs> There's always something that goes wrong. Um, but I so so building back up after a while off, and you want to get up to a volume kind of commensurate with the level that you want to train to. Uh, and th- that ramp can tweak your body, yeah. you know, which had become accustomed to putting in those hours and those miles on the bike. Um, but then you, you ramp it up too fast and all of a sudden your body isn't prepared for it and you can get an overuse injury. So that's why I'm calling it the, the injury treadmill. And this happened when I broke my collarbone a few years ago too where I was I just didn't ride for a while and I got back on my bike and immediately injured my knee in a different a different way that was an old injury this is a this is also a, this is a different kind of recurring thing and so I because it's happened before I know it'll be fine I know I need to basically rest it until it it gets better um, and it's not severe but yeah it's just you know it's it always one setback leads to another setback yeah. you know and it makes it very very difficult to get going again and um it's really frustrating, and the good thing is I have a lot of time, um, because I'm not really hoping or expecting to be "quote unquote" fast again until maybe late summer. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's 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 still you know time that I could be building that base. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I want to be doing. But instead, I'm like foam rolling. How does it work? And resting, and it sucks. Well, anyway, that sounds hard. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little frustrating. I mean, the, you know, the answer, right, is to stop falling off my bike and breaking things. It's easier said than done. I think that would probably be. Um. Yeah, I suppose so. You seem to have a pretty good record of not falling off your bike, though. Well, let's go ahead and knock on wood there. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. I'll knock on the desk there. But yeah, it's 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 um. I don't know. I've had, or you know, I, I, I've, I've had, I've had uh, crashes that have involved, uh, thankfully, very little damage uh, to my body or to bikes. Though I have like broken some ribs. Right, that's right. You mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the most part, I've been quite. I mean, I haven't broken a bone in a road racing crash. You know, it's, it's almost as though the universe is telling me to give up cyclocross, which I, you know isn't going to work out because i'm a lot better at it and i also <laughs> I feel am. like you're just like less it's less really... likely to get injured in cyclocross yeah well i you know i'm kind of guy that i you're an outlier be... man look you were we were talking earlier you were looking for ways to be uh exceptional and there we go <laughs> i yeah i've managed to hurt myself riding cross bikes uh to an unusual degree so that's cool i guess I'm not sure what that says about 
you know, what's going on? Like, am I, why am I not crashing on the road? Am I not brave enough? I don't know. But no, I think I'm fine. I, I mean, I have actually crashed on the road. It's just that I don't seem to break bones when I do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that race I crashed in last summer. Um, you know, that was a pretty, that was a pretty good, that was one of the more violent crashes I've had in a bike race, in fact. So it, it actually could have been pretty bad, <laughs> but somehow somehow i was basically okay yeah so hmm. all right um so speaking of bike racing which i feel like is every like possible segue that we could possibly Mm -hmm. have on it we do it i know speaking of bike racing here's a different topic uh did you catch the write-up on velo news by kaylee frets of the little 500 i did it's uh it's really good all right so i have so many thoughts about this one and i'll Im- impress this upon our listeners if you haven't read it yet uh you should take a look it's terrific and if you don't know about the little 500 i mean this is this is so the little 500 is this race uh 200 laps of this flat cinder track in uh Indianapolis, Indiana, Bloomington, 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 Um, Indiana. The school does, and they're all, and it, and it's this team race, and they're they're all riding these coaster brake Schwins with like a forty-eight eighteen gear on, flat pedals. The bikes have like have to be the same size, and they have to do they they're like required to make something like ten exchanges in the race, and the exchanges are like a rider spurts out from the pack and comes skidding to a stop and sort of hands the bicycle to a teammate who's running as they grab it and jump on. You know, if you've seen people passing the baton in track or uh, in like running track racing, um, that's what they do, except the baton is the bicycle. Um, Right. And yeah, if if you haven't seen the movie Breaking Away, uh, the race is featured. And it's, it's, it's interesting. You can, you can watch, um, televised coverage of the race like the full race on youtube um i mean i haven't seen like this year's edition but there are there are previous year's editions and you can get a sense of what it's like and it's weird because it's sort of like if you like described bike racing to somebody and then they like remembered it 10 years later and then tried to like replicate it maybe they would come up with that or like right like it's it's this like separate evolutionary like arm you know, of, of bike racing that's not really like anything else. And so it has its own traditions and tactics and moves that, like, and aesthetics that, like, aren't in most bike racing. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's contested by, uh, <clears throat> there's overlap between, quote-unquote, normal bike racers mm-hmm. and uh, little 500 uh, teams but it's also a lot of people who you would never otherwise see associated with bike racing yeah and it's i don't know it's almost like if you like like you can you can watch cricket and be like okay this is a little bit like baseball but not quite that's how, and that's how i feel watching the little 500 is just like this sneaking suspicion that it's different <laughs> for th- for that reason for that reason i have a hard time taking it seriously and I'm, I'm i'm saying this not to argue a point but just to be honest 
And so what I loved about Kaylee Fretz's piece was that he didn't indulge in any of that crap that I'm describing. And he just wrote this like really loving uh, sort of profile from, from being with one team uh, at the race and watching it and photographing it and kind of being, you know, in the pit, in the emotional highs and lows and everything. And uh, like really captured the, the culture around it and the kind of essential highs and lows of sport that uh, unify this with other forms of bike racing. And, and how it could be exciting. Totally. In its own right. Totally. And, and look, it is exciting. It's just, it's just a, a, a weird thing that is unlike anything else. Right, yeah. And it, it doesn't look like... I've seen a little bit of, of it sometimes. It, it does not look like a normal bike race, right? It's, it's not... You don't have uh, much in the way of, you know, attacks going off the front and a breakaway. And, and it, it, the tactics are very different. It's, it's people trying not to crash for two hours. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, because it is you are going on right this uh, coaster brake bike with a very small gear on a cinder track that is getting churned up every lap, and you're going. They're going fast, right? They're not going. the The, the people at the front of the race are good cyclists. Like, let's be clear. I, I think that that can be. It'd be pretty easy to dismiss it as outsider cycling, and, and in some sense, it is, but. Uh, the not, good not, teams, not by the, yeah, not by the good racers, right? Like the good racers are generally actual, like they they do bike racing outside of this, yeah. Uh, and then they might have some support uh, riders on the team who have special skills. Like I think one of the interesting uh, notes about this team that uh, Kaylee was covering was their ace in the hole was a kid who I understood is a runner primarily who can do a four minute mile uh, on a track right on uh, on foot which so, which, which and, probably helps if you're if you're uh riding a bike and you have to spin at 130 rpm in order to attack well yeah absolutely and that, and that tends to and that can I, I think that can also equalize you know that high rpm uh that need to spin at a high rpm can equalize to some extent you know with the the fact that a trained cyclist is just, just going to have more muscle mass than yeah. a runner. Mm-hmm. Than a, because just because the sports are so fundamentally different in terms of um, the kind of body type that they favor. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, I mean, maybe not fundamentally different, but, you know, there are significant differences that, I don't know, I think are kind of interesting. But, um, <laughs> well, I mean, why not go into, I mean, right, like just, just the fact that, that running is really uh, the efficiency of, of high uh, aerobic output while having the, the greatest possible efficiency in swinging your limbs around, right? Yeah. Whereas <laughs> in cycling, because the motion is so prescribed, uh, you can really, and, and the kind of inertia of your limbs isn't really a factor, you can really put on some, some muscle mass, which is... Mm-hmm why elite long distance runners uh, have very slender legs especially the lower part of their legs and why cyclists uh, actually span the gamut right where you have some people who are pretty skinny uh, little legs and some people who have big meaty thighs and and they might all be you know climbers so anyway um yeah so so yeah but so it was interesting so this this you know they can put this kid on a bike (coughs) presumably with some training right 
but they can put this kid in the bike and have him do essentially a VO2 max effort and build a gap. Um, and then, you know, the, I assume the speeds are somewhat lower than they are on <laughs> on or on road. Oh, they, I mean, uh, they have to be. Yeah. Yeah. With yeah. That, with that gear restriction. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a significant gear restriction. Well, that and the surface is not as smooth, right? Yeah. So, you know, and then, and then it, I'm, I'm sure that there's some trading of pulls at the front, but it's not going to be as tactically... I don't know, astute as a traditional bike race. So you yeah, like like I've I've watched like I've watched a few races. And, you know, I never see people like attack and fall into a pace line, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really different. So anyway, um, it's really good piece. Uh, it I is, and, and, and I will I'll go ahead and you know and, and say that my, my my point in bringing this whole thing up is that like I thought the little five hundred was weird. I still think it's weird, and I and I really appreciate the like I said like the very loving profile that just yeah it just it it made me feel like i was there made me feel like it was awesome um i you know i'd love coverage like that for any bike race but that you know the fact that it's you know its own little thing is uh it was great good job good job kaylee frets good job kaylee frets go check it out um all right so i think that as we roll toward the close of the show uh, I think we have some sad news that we wanted to discuss and and maybe put in context a little bit. Does that seem seem kind of like what we want to do? Yeah. So I mean, by the by the time that uh, that this episode is released, I think most people will have learned uh, of the passing of Chad Young, who was a cyclist with um, Action Hoggins Berman, who crashed at the Tour of the Gila and um died several days after um yeah and sustained a a head injury and yeah and i think that you know i I was chatting and 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 i mean you know axon hagen's bergen is a u23 team right so so um you know he's 21 years old Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, in and also in it's it's been i i want to acknowledge in general because when we were actually first um saying gosh we should talk about this we actually weren't thinking of um of chad young but of michaela scarponi yeah uh who just a week ago right uh was out on a training ride and um hit by a van mm-hmm. and, and killed yeah um and so it's and it's been a rough month because uh and, and i think we can wrap around back to this right but um well, first of all, long-distance cyclist Mike Hall was killed in um, the uh, Pacific Wheel Tour, something like that, mm-hmm. um, India Pacific Wheel Tour, basically a long-distance race in Australia. Um, and Steve Tilford uh, also uh, died very recently the, this this month in a in a highway accident, and I think I think we'll circle back to that. But it's been a really I, I think hard month for cycling fans for um bike racers and of of course you know most of all for um the friends and families and and people who are close to each of these men the yeah and the uh you know the the sort of outpouring of emotion sort of watching it uh around scarponi who I, i did not realize was as widely loved in the peloton as he is yeah same yeah um 
And then, you know, around uh, Tilford, who obviously so many people knew from his many decades in the sport. Um, and with, with, with Chad Young, who obviously sort of left uh, a very powerful impression on a lot of people in a very short period of time, um, you know, just, just reminds me of the, the emotion that came out of our community when uh, Amy Dombrowski died uh, some four mm, years yeah. ago, who, uh, again, you know, the, the, the youth factor, the sort of close-knit community of, of people kind of straddling the sort of local elite and professional worlds, you know, that, that's, a, that's a big community with people on, on, on each side of that. And I think you start to feel that um, they are really close to, to, to people. Yeah, um, because of that phenomenon, and you know, I, I can't help but remember when I started getting into bike racing. Um, you know, I, I knew about uh, Fabio Casartelli who died um, during the Tour de France in '95. Died in a crash. Uh, yeah, '94, something like that. '94, '95. You know, that kind of stood out as this like story of this totally like erroneous thing because obviously, like Tom Simpson dying is legendary literally um and not with a, a positive connotation there necessarily but really like the stuff of legend you know put me back on my bike he said as he was yeah as he was well dying. what's seemingly less well remembered in, in prose i think i want to say andre kisilev or um kazakh cyclist in 2003 who fell over i think at um the uh paris and, and mm. had a head injury yeah mm. Yeah, and then uh, you know, and, to... and, you know, keep going. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, and, and just we have had uh, incidents recently with um, Stig Brooks, um, for example, who is uh, in a minimally conscious state um, after being mm-hmm. uh, essentially hit by a motorbike in a race, and so you know, it doesn't. And then and, you know, Wouter Waylon in 2010, and then and Tom, of course, of course. Uh, in Gent Wevelgen last year. Of course, um, yeah. Last year was a really pretty bad year for this too. So, uh, it's um, you know, it really people say a lot. Um, cycling is a dangerous sport, right? Um, and I think that incidents like this really drive that home. Um, and I think it can. I, I think this is where the perspective is going to come in and, and Maddie, you can talk about this in a minute about how dangerous cycling kind of is relative to other things you could be doing mm-hmm. but you know I, I think that it's normal and um, perfectly <laughs> sane uh, to consider you know could the, if, if I'm unlucky enough could you know this be me right um, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think anyone wants that to be their story and and you know and also of course that many of these incidents weren't because of a rider doing something wrong um the thing that really gets me about for example scarponi is that uh you know this is a guy who's 37 years old he's been a professional cyclist for what 15 16 years um you know he's an expert at riding his bike um and and this can still happen right and and so i often kind of rely on you know for kind of my own peace of mind look i'm pretty good at riding a bike compared to the average population like i i'm pretty good at it um and so that probably (coughs) is some protection right i don't know though um it certainly isn't 
perfect protection. And in the case of you know uh, of Chad Young, you know he wasn't he wasn't according to anyone taking unnecessary risks on this descent. He wasn't hot dogging it. He wasn't going nuts. Um, but sometimes you know things that are beyond your control uh, happen. So anyway, it is very sobering. Yeah. Um, and it's sad. And I think that we should be sobered and sad. And it, and I think when when stuff like this happens, it, it hits close to home because I don't know a bike racer or an avid cyclist who doesn't have uh, a friend, a teammate, a loved one, or even just an acquaintance who's had a really serious injury uh, or brush with death. Um, mm-hmm. And a step further, many of us do know people who've passed away riding bikes, and I think that's usually a little bit more in the like you know. Not not necessarily while racing, likely not while racing, um, but but yeah, like you said, it, it, uh, you start to think that like could could this be me? Um, and I I because it hits close to home, I, especially when bike racing, right? Because it's supposed to be this thing that we do for fun, and it's supposed to be this thing that we do in a safer environment. It's supposed to be safer than training, than you know, going out riding on open roads, right? Like this is. This this is our stadium. We assume a certain level of safety. Um, so I think when somebody passes away in a bike race, just the the shock of that is elevated. Yeah, um, absolutely. But but I, I I took the liberty of digging up um, some some information on on cycling deaths, um, and I found that there's a. In the United States, there's a, a mortality rate while cycling of 2.3 per million, um, which, you know, I, I'm not sure if that's high or if it's low or whatever, um, but I thought to to then also look up the similar mortality rate for people in cars, which is 113 per million. And so where I'm going with this, you know, not to reduce this conversation to statistics, but to sort of bring it to the sense of vulnerability that you get when this whole like hitting close to home uh happens with somebody passing away uh, in a bike race or some cyclist is that even though it, it can make you feel like more vulnerable um you or somebody that you know is still 50 times more likely to, to die in a car than on a bike um which is is still upsetting and unfortunate but it, but i think that you know um when we feel that necessarily, when we when we feel that vulnerability, we don't um, necessarily need to feel uh, at risk for this uh, happening to us or happening to somebody that we know, compared to other things that we normalize. Yeah, I, I and, think, and I and um, I and I and I intend to say that with you know, uh, you know, as much sort of solemnness and, and and dignity as as befits the circumstance. Um, but that this is, even though it seems like a trend, it's it's still an aberration. Right, right. And, you know, I, I think that um, you know, and again, um, yeah, I I, I <laughs> want to be um, yeah really respectful and 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 sober uh, about it. Um, you know, I think that what happened with Steve Tilford is really sadly and grimly illustrative of kind of what what the relative what sort of the danger spots are in being in a bike race versus you know out on out on the road and and they can't be disconnected right because he's driving to bike races um 
and and of course that is the most dangerous thing any of us does when we are engaged in bike racing is driving to the events um, yeah uh and and i mean so in, in his case right um steve tilford had lots of injuries um broken bones all kinds of things over the course of um a really amazing bike racing career just over three decades or maybe more um three three plus decades um and you know the thing that that ended his life was uh a, a crash on the interstate um so and and you know there was just uh, an incident gosh was it a couple years ago now uh a young woman driving to a bike race um was in a collision in California, uh, yeah. uh, and she died. Um, and as, as did, uh, I think, unfortunately, um, three of the four uh, young women in the car coming the other way. I don't know what happened um, in that situation. Um, I suspect that someone fell asleep at the wheel, um, but I don't know. So, so you know, I don't know. I don't want to get um, too dragged down into morbid and and, and sad things, but. But yeah, I mean that really does put it in perspective. That, you know, you can you can break bones. You know, certainly I've broken bones. You can break bones. You can you can hurt yourself. You can get bruises. You can get road rash. Um, you know, people don't usually die in a bike race, and so I think that it makes it especially shocking when it happens. I mean, I, I, in other sports, it is much more of kind of part of the risk people assume. It seems like. Um, which to me is astonishing, but I, I think that, you know, if, if that's just part of the background, maybe people just get used to it, but I don't know. I don't know. seems like not something that you'd want to get used to. So anyway, um, we're really sad about, uh, Chad Young. Uh, we're sad about, uh, Scarponi and, and, you know, anyone who rides a bike, who has their life and on a bike, that's not what we... Yeah, that's always a tragedy. Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know. <laughs> that 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 for me is. Uh, I think that's the note. I'd say, I think that's the note. Um, you can go over to, you know, there's been all kinds of tributes posted to um, all these individuals we've named to to Steve Tilford, um, to to Chad Young. Um, and there's going to be more and more for, for him because because sadly as we record this on Saturday it was just Friday night that uh, that, he, that he passed passed away. Um, so, uh, Michaeli Scarponi um, uh, and, and you know my call on the long distance in the ultra distance world. You know you can find um, go to Velo News for example. Kaylee Fretz again is is putting together people's recollections of um, of Chad. Um, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just say quickly. Uh, uh, Chad is a New Englander um, from New Hampshire. Uh, I didn't personally know him, or even actually know who he was, because his time as a junior in the scene didn't really overlap uh, with me being in the area. Um, but I, you know, know a lot of people who know him who are who are affected, and so I, I think that it's a sad community in New England right now. Um, New England bike racing. And and yeah, uh, so so go find that at Velo News. Um, you know, if you want to learn more about the impression he seemed to make on people in yeah, really a very short span of time. Uh, and that's all I think I have to say about that. 
Me too. This is the Honest Bicycle Program. Find us at wideanglepodium.com. And that's all for today. All right. Bye.